Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. In this podcast, you'll learn actionable strategies to deal with infertility from Dr. Michael Chapman, or Prof as he's affectionately known. Prof is the co-founder of IVF Australia and is a leading Australian infertility specialist who has helped over 3,000 couples realise their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. That first cry of a baby born after the long journey of IVF remains one of the most beautiful experiences in the world. As an obstetrician and an IVF specialist, I've had the privilege of experiencing this over many thousands of times in my long career, but I still remain moved by each baby's first cry. It signifies the end of a long journey and the beginning of a new life. This is Professor Michael Chapman, co-founder of IVF Australia and host of the IVF Journey podcast. Thanks for tuning in. To access all the previous episodes, head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. Today, what I'm going to talk about is that pregnancy test, that positive pregnancy test, that wonderful moment when a nurse rings you to say, your cycle has been successful. You will have done a blood test and the pregnancy hormone, the beta-HCG, will have been measured and it will be in the positive zone. That positive zone can range from 20 through to 100 by day 10 or so after embryo transfer. Down at the 20 end, we tend to be somewhat pessimistic. That's not a good level. It may be that we've taken the blood too early, but it may also mean that's a pregnancy that's not going to succeed. Once you get over 50, you can be pretty confident that you're going to be watching a pregnancy move forward. So once you've heard those wonderful words that the pregnancy test is positive, what should you do? Well, really, there's not much to do. You probably ought to tell your partner, but I wouldn't necessarily tell the world because a positive pregnancy test is a long way from a live birth. In fact, of all positive beta-HCG levels, probably only 75 to 80% will end up with a baby in your arms. But it is the first step. What most clinics will do is get you back in two to three days' time for a repeat blood test to see what's happened to those levels. What should happen is that every 24 hours, the level should double. So if you had a blood level of 50 today and we repeated the test in two days' time, 
it should be somewhere between 150 and 200. If it's doing that, that's a very optimistic sign. And probably we're now up over 85% chance that there'll be a baby at the end of the day. If, however, the level doesn't rise that quickly, miscarriage is more likely. And perhaps more importantly, the possibility of an ectopic pregnancy starts to arise. Having established the pregnancy is going well with doubling of those levels, most clinics will organise a scan at six weeks of pregnancy to show a gestational sac and hopefully see a baby inside, which hopefully will have a heartbeat. If the levels are rising slowly, and doctors generally will follow those levels on a more regular basis every three or four days to see what's happening. If an early miscarriage occurs, the levels will drop. Again, the doctor should be thinking about the, the low possibility, but a, but, a, but a real possibility of an ectopic pregnancy. Why am I emphasizing ectopic pregnancies? Well, they are dangerous. They can cause heavy bleeding if they rupture the fallopian tube because they're sitting in the tube rather than in the uterus. So we always should have that in the back of our mind. So you turn up at the doctor's rooms or in the scanning clinic at six weeks and you have an ultrasound. As I said earlier, what we hope to see is a gestational sac and inside the sac we should see the embryo, the fetus almost now, and something called the yolk sac. When you look on the scanning screen, and mostly when you have these done, the, the patient has that access to view the, the pregnancy. You'll see a round thing, which isn't the baby's head. It's actually the gestational. What you may see is a round thing, which isn't the baby's head. It's actually something called the yolk sac, which contains the fluid on which the baby is feeding. At this stage, the embryo will be something in the order of four or five millimetres in length. It's tiny, smaller than a rice piece of rice. At that stage, in about 90% of cases, we will see a heartbeat if it's a viable pregnancy. Occasionally, there will be the time where we can't see a heartbeat, but you still will have a viable pregnancy. It's just that we have been unable to see it on technical grounds. Once we see a heartbeat and it's over 100, the chances of a baby in your arms has risen now to over 90%. Still, I advise couples not to go and tell the world because there's still a 5 to 10% chance that between 6 weeks and 12 weeks, you will have a miscarriage. And having raised the hopes and joys of, of your friends and relatives, for them to be dashed is actually quite hard to cope with. So, mum's the word. A scan in another 2 weeks and a heartbeat present now takes you to over 95% chance of a baby in your arms. And now we're about the time when you could tell everybody. Once you get to 12 weeks and there's a heartbeat, that's great because you're 99.5% certain that you'll have a term baby in your arms in seven months' time. Going back to the six-week scan, if things don't look 100%, what it's generally done is bringing you back for another scan in a week's time to see that there's growth of the embryo and that we can see a heartbeat over 100. If we don't, then it's likely that this is going to be a miscarriage. If we find a gestational sac and an embryo that doesn't have a heartbeat, it's called a missed miscarriage, 
we've got three options. The first is to sit tight and nature at some point will act. Nature will expel the pregnancy. That could be the next day, but it could take three weeks, even four weeks. And most women don't want to wait that long. But I think it's worth letting nature take its course at least for a little while. And if it doesn't happen, then we move in with the next two. The next option is medical treatment, which involves taking tablets, and that brings on a miscarriage over a period of days. It's called a medical miscarriage. The third option and the commonest approach is to undertake a dilatation and curatage, a scrape, a DNC, uh, all got the same name. And that requires a light anaesthetic, takes about as long as an egg collection, and results in the finishing of the pregnancy at the earliest opportunity. Many couples choose that just to get it over and done with. No method of those three are without potential for complications. Letting nature do it can lead to a hemorrhage at home in the middle of the night and the need to go to emergency department. It's really life-threatening. With medical treatment, the first thing obviously is it doesn't work, which occurs in 5 to 10% of cases, and you have to go on to a DNC. Again, you're going to miscarry potentially at home and there may be bleeding and pain that requires you to go to an emergency department. With a DNC, the risks are damaged to the uterus. They're very low risks, perforation of the uterus and the causing of adhesions. Those risks are probably less than one in 200, but they are risks. So nothing is without risk. When you've gone through IVF and you end up with a miscarriage, I think that it's important to get the pregnancy tissue tested for genetic makeup because the vast majority of those pregnancies will be because nature made a mistake at the time of the formation of the embryo. And I found it very helpful for couples to know that was the reason. So that covers off pretty much what happens in early pregnancy. I suppose the only thing I haven't mentioned are the symptoms of pregnancy and dealing with them. There's no doubt, and we did some research that showed this, that couples who've been through IVF and have got pregnant are far more anxious in early pregnancy about the pregnancy than women who conceive naturally. That's not surprising. The symptoms of pregnancy are just the same as any, any naturally occurring pregnancy with nausea, painful breast engorgement, tiredness. All those symptoms are the same and they're good symptoms because they mean the hormone levels are doing a great job and the pregnancy is good. Treating those symptoms is the same as any natural pregnancy. If they're severe, particularly in terms of nausea, there are medications that are safe in early pregnancy and your doctor will advise you. So hopefully you get through those first 12 weeks of pregnancy and the rest of your pregnancy is a wonderful time and you get to that baby that you so wanted. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. 
Thank you for listening to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.